You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I'm your host, Josh Raley. I hope you're having a fantastic start to your week, and if not, I hope this podcast helps it get just a little bit better. Today, we're talking turkey hunting with Jeremy Dersham from Ridge and River Running Outfitters. Their website is rrroutfitters.com. And I don't know about you, but I am in a turkey mood i'm getting into that time of year when uh you know before i drop the kids off at school or right after i drop the kids off at school i i find myself drifting out towards some areas where i think i may spot some turkeys maybe see a tom strutting in a field took the time this past weekend to go and do some scouting for the youth season that's coming up here in georgia march 25th and 26th uh is the the youth weekend here got my youngest my now six-year-old which if you were listening last year around this time you know i got him out in wisconsin we were almost able to seal the deal but just couldn't quite make it happen he is going to be up to bat on march 25th that is saturday and then my eight-year-old who was seven last year who was kind of wanting to get out but wasn't really sure about it last year this year she's committed to wanting to get out so this past weekend we went out to the lease and i'll be honest with you i joined this lease specifically to have a place to take my kids for youth seasons now you know myself i'll find a way to get it done on public land i don't mind going out there hiking super far dealing with the public pressure all of that good stuff i don't really want to try to do that with a six-year-old or an eight-year-old it's not that my kids aren't willing to do the work they absolutely are I just want them to have a positive introduction to it. I don't want to have to worry about other people, like worrying about keeping a six-year-old and an eight-year-old safe around firearms is enough. Then uh, I don't want to have to add in a bunch of other people. And if we're just being practical, you know, if I get out there and roll my ankle on a hillside, my six-year-old is probably not going to be a lot of help getting me out of the woods. And in fact, I might be putting him or his sister in danger so i don't want to do that so i've joined a lease here in georgia we got out this past weekend we did some scouting went out early early in the morning i've never been to this property before in my life it is a huge piece of land that is nothing but pine trees like when i say nothing but pine trees i mean there's there is maybe maybe uh 10 acres total of hardwoods that you know, run as a long, thin strip through the, this entire property. There is There are no hardwoods anywhere. So I didn't really know what to expect of the turkey population on this property. But I had a spot picked out on the map where I wanted to go and listen. 
I know there are some food plots on the property, so I figure, hey, there may be some birds here. We go out to the property, we get to the high spot. Not long after uh, what would have been legal shooting light, right? We, um, we're not hearing anything, not a single bird. Uh, so I do a couple of owl hoots, you know, the standard, you know, who cooks for you, who cooks for you all kind of thing. Nothing, not a single bird. Then I decide I'm going to try that obnoxious shriek thing that I hear the guys on the hunting public do. And man, when I did that, like five or six birds fired off, probably about 250 yards from us. So close enough that it's like, man, they, they definitely heard me hooting the first time, but for whatever reason, they just had not gobbled up until that point. And anyway, so after that though, that like got them all going. They gobbled hard on the limb, uh, got to where I think there were probably five different birds, maybe six different birds roosted, all kind of down in this bottom area. We got a pretty good pin on where they were, and as I started looking at the map, I saw there were several food plots kind of surrounding this bottom. So basically we just started by moving from food plot to food plot and checking out what the sign looked like. Went and checked the first food plot, almost no turkey sign whatsoever, which made sense because once we got in there, the pines we could tell around us were very, very small. So not any kind of quality roosting cover or anything like that. Really not a lot of understory either because the pines were still too short. So crossed that one off the list, went down to the next one, very quickly realized that we were gonna have to cross that one off the list. Also, then we circled around to the more northerly side of the property. And as soon as we get to the first food plot we were hoping to get to, now we had to walk a long ways to get there. But as soon as we got there, we start finding turkey sign. Now we're not seeing tracks or anything like that because the ground is kind of this hard packed clay stuff. But we were seeing lots of turkey droppings in the food plots, even found a couple of feathers in a food plot. So we decided, you know what, we're gonna hang up the reveal cell cams and just see what the what the day holds. Just, just see what's coming out and using those fields. We knew that the uh, birds were roosting down in the bottom. These food plots were kind of up on the higher ridge to the north side of this bottom. So I thought, you know what, it would make a lot of sense for those turkeys to be roosted down low near where there's this seasonal stream. I don't know if there's any water in it right now or not, but I do know that it, there's a seasonal stream marked on the map. So it would make sense for them to roost there and then, you know, throughout the day, kind of mill up along that ridge, hitting, you know, the different food plots that are scattered. Found a ton of sign, put out the cell cam on the first plot that we came to, came to a second plot, found a decent amount of turkey sign, uh, walked a couple of terrain features. There was a, a really nice saddle that had good turkey sign in it. There were a couple of finger ridges that kind of dip off towards the bottom. Those all had turkey sign on them. Got to another food plot, came up to where we were almost in another food plot. And I and I stopped and I told the kids, hey, I have a feeling there may be turkeys in this field right now. Because of all the sign that we've been seeing, uh, I've got a feeling there may be turkeys in this food plot. And sure enough, we get up there, there are four hens and a tom in this food plot. Now we did not get to see them, a guy that we had met earlier that morning who also came to the high knob where we were listening from to listen for turkeys. He had worked his way around the other direction, kind of through the bottom up to that food plot. And he had seen four hens in the plot and a tom strutting. And the tom got spooked as we walked uh, towards the field. Put out another cell camera there. So hopefully these cell cameras are gonna tell us whether or not these turkeys are using this plot on any kind of consistent basis. Now, you know me, you know I like to run and gun for turkeys. You know that deer hunting them is probably not my preferred method. But when you have a six-year-old, you have thick pine timber, um, you know, sometimes you do what you gotta do. So my plan for opening day is going to be to get a good blind or at least get a good hide and park it. Hope for the absolute best. 
put out a couple of decoys and hopefully one will come in and give my six-year-old on opening day and my eight-year-old the very next day about a 15-yard shot. They're shooting a 410 with TSS. Should pack quite a punch, but man, I'm stoked. I've got turkeys on the brain. I get weird this time of year. I've said that before on here. I love deer hunting. Deer hunting is my first love. I would rather shoot a mature buck than a turkey any day of the week. But for some reason, turkeys just make me act weird. And I don't know what it is. So anyway, I've got turkeys on the mind. That's what we're talking about in today's episode. Like I said, I'm talking with Jeremy Dersham from Ridge and River Running Outfitters there in Wisconsin. He specializes in guiding folks for waterfowl and for turkeys. Turkeys is where he cut his teeth. He was calling turkeys for people before he was old enough to turkey hunt himself. So the dude knows what he's talking about. He's been doing it for a long time. One of the really intriguing parts of his story is as he grew up hunting and as he became a guide and an outfitter, the turkey population in Wisconsin went from very, very few birds to a lot of birds to kind of tapering off to where we are today, which is somewhere below the kind of peak, but still very, very healthy turkey populations. So he kind of came of age in this golden period of turkey hunting in the state of Wisconsin. So he's got a very, very unique perspective. Uh, Man, the guy's just a good guest. Like his passion and his zeal for not only turkey hunting, but the outdoors in general and for providing his clients a quality experience is going to come through. Like you're going to hear it in his voice. This dude is just as jacked up about turkeys and turkey hunting today as he was when he first started calling in birds at like I don't know what it was, like 10 years old or something like that. So Jeremy was a fantastic guest. I told him when we got done, I was like, dude, you have an open invitation to come back on this show anytime you want to, because this was an awesome conversation. I actually ended up having to cut the conversation short because I had another appointment to get to. But uh, man, we could have gotten into so many more topics had we had more time. So maybe I'll have him back on uh, a little bit later on in the turkey season, talk a little bit more, you know, late season turkey hunting as opposed to early season, which is a lot of what we talk about today. So a couple of things before we jump into uh, into the episode, I'm rambling on too long here, but I do want to say thanks to our partners. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of this show. They've got a great deal going on right now over at Tacticam.com for 299 bucks. You can get yourself a 6.0 camera, a barrel mount, and an SD card. That means you're getting $75 off of this package when you buy it all together. Just head over there, tacticam.com, put it all in your cart, and when you go to check out, the discount will be applied automatically. You can also check out their Solo Extreme camera, which right now is uh, $199, I believe. A little bit more of a budget-friendly option. Still going to give you HD footage. Still going to give you everything you want out of a Tacticam camera. And guys, I I love filming my deer hunts. I really, really do, Um, especially with these Tacticams because it just makes it so easy to carry a camera along with you. But there's something about turkey hunting with a Tacticam. Like, I mean, you've seen the footage, right? Like, the the footage you can get with a Tacticam is absolutely ridiculous. Turkeys are so decoy-friendly and, like, just do all kinds of cool stuff. So, great time to jump into filming your hunts if you haven't done that already. Next up, Huntworth. Huntworthgear.com. Head over there right now and you can get 20% off of all their products on their website using the code TRKYM20. That's TR. KYM20. That sale ends March 26th. So from the day this launches, you've got about five days to get over there and take advantage of this. I'm going to be wearing a lot of their lightweight camo. I can go ahead and tell you right now, the Durham lightweight pants are going to be the pants that I'm wearing 
uh, for this opener coming up on March 25th. When I'm hunting in Wisconsin on April 19th, I may be wearing the Elkins, maybe something a little bit warmer because you never quite know what weather is going to be thrown your way. But I do know that I'm going to be using that Tarnin pattern because holy smokes, that pattern is just it's fantastic, and it's going to blend in well whether you're in the spring turkey woods or in the fall deer woods. So head over to their website. Take advantage of this, huntworthgear.com. Remember that code TRKYM20. Sale ends March 26th. Now, I've gone on too long for this intro, but it's just because I'm fired up, guys. I'm fired up about turkey season. Uh, I've been waiting for this for a real long time. So now's the time to get out. Do your scouting, go glass some fields, figure out where some birds are roosting. Uh, Take a couple of things that you learned from today's episode. Begin putting those into practice. We talk a good bit about scouting, so there's some good tidbits for you to pick up from Jeremy in this episode. Now, with all that stuff out of the way, let's jump into the conversation with Jeremy Dersham about uh, being an outfitter and turkey hunting strategy. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Jeremy Dersham from Wisconsin. Jeremy, what's up, buddy? How are we doing, sir? Pleasure to be here. Man, so glad you had the uh, the time to come on. I kind of reached out on a whim because uh, I found you online. I was like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And and I'll admit, I hadn't done a lot of research before you confirmed and said, yeah, I'll come on the show. Then I start digging in, and I'm like, this guy's everywhere. Like I, I, I found you because of, because of turkey hunting. And then I was like, this dude does everything. Living and, the dream, huh? Yeah. Then I start Googling your name and you're like in every article that Realtree has ever quoted somebody on waterfowl. And I'm like, okay, this dude knows his stuff. So definitely need to get him on the show. And it may be a little bit of a disservice that we're going to talk about turkeys today because it sounds like waterfowl is like, a lot for you. Like that's a big part of your puzzle. It is. Waterfall is a big piece, but turkeys is where I started. Um, and I, it's, it's a huge piece of our whole life. So the outdoors period is just a big, big deal. And I absolutely love turkeys and love the people that surround themselves with turkeys. Awesome. So it's living the dream. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, let's, let's just kick it off, man. And start with some, uh, some hunter profile kind of stuff. Like who are you? (laughs) What do you do? How'd you get into the outdoors? Absolutely. So I'm from the Midwest originally. Um, I'm from Northern Illinois and we are official transplants to the state of Wisconsin. I have a lot of family that live in the Midwest. Uh, a lot of us that once we move, my, my personal family moved up here, um, in the eighties. And so there's a kind of like this purge of family that moved up and followed us up here to call Wisconsin home. Um, Regarding the outdoors, I, I come from a family, you know, it, it's pretty typical. I come from a family of avid hunters. Um, going back, um, a lot of my family that was from the western part of Illinois kind of subsistence living. And so they had that World War II mindset, you know, that, 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 that kind of culture. Yeah, yeah. So um, trapping, fishing, um, hunting. It wasn't something that you did as a hobby. It was something that was a huge part of your life. Um, those, those tools were kind of transferred onto me. And once I got into the outdoors, I just, 
there was nothing else that existed. It just ate me up, you know, and um, we came up into a time in the eighties where numbers of tur- or hunters period were at kind of at peak and everybody was doing it. It was kind of a big deal and it was just awesome. So it was, it's a great way to become a, to, to view the world. I, you know, everything that I do is very perspective based regarding the outdoors and it's kind of, it hasn't kind of filtrated into my immediate family. My kids are, you know, they, they know many different duck species, turkey species, what it's just a, it's a huge part of what we do and who we are. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when did you move to Wisconsin? I mean, first of all, it sounds like you made a good choice moving up Absolutely. from Illinois and, and into Wisconsin. For real. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. When did you move up? So in the mid to late eighties, we mid were up 80s. here. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, and my fam, my dad took a job in the Sauk County area. So we, we, they bought an old farmhouse. Um, we leased a little bit of property behind it. And I grew up running ridges and learning Creek bottoms. Um, eventually they bought a place on the Wisconsin river. Um, so we added that to our gamut. My back door was, you know, becoming a river rat. So turkey hunting on the Island, we, uh, we learned to do that pretty quickly. Um, we learned to navigate river systems pretty quick. And then once that kind of took place, we started making just a, a little bit of a name for ourselves locally. Um, we'd have Wisconsin river gets hit pretty hard in the summer months. Yep. So I was always fishing or doing something on the river. Um, with that being said, numerous people would take vacations up there. They'd see us come past and ask us how fishing was going. This was in the nineties. So the next thing I know, I'm giving advice. And that, a little bit later, people were asking me to take them out. Well, can you show me where we can catch a few smallmouth or where I can catch a few walleye? Are the white bass running right now? So that's how it kind of just slowly progressed through that. Um, also, we had a lot of family and friends from the Chicagoland area. So they loved to deer hunt. The culture of Wisconsin for deer hunting is absolutely astronomical. So we had some big leases going on throughout Sauk County, Columbia County, uh, different areas around here. And the guys would come up here and deer hunt their nine days, the Holy week. And then, you know, the rest of the year, turkey hunting wasn't a big thing or, you know, late eighties, early nineties in the state. It was just in its infancy stage. Um, so I, I kind of had the woods roam on my own and I'm learning all of these different ideas and perspectives. And it just so happened at the same time that turkeys really started inhabiting a lot of this area. So, you know, hearing a turkey or seeing a turkey was a huge freaking deal back in the early nineties. Yeah. Um, and the next thing you know, I'm, uh, the Wisconsin deer and turkey expo was, uh, was a big deal. Um, we used to go down to that. I would, uh, the calling contest were starting to take place. So I was just a kid, you know, in middle school, high school, um, I'd buy a call and, uh, down there and partake in a few of the calling contests. One cool story regarding turkeys that really kind of got me into it was uh, Dick Kirby and the Quaker Boy team. They uh, they would come up here and give on seminars in the early 90s, you know, some of the Quaker Boy reps. And Dick Kirby was one of the idols, you know, back in, in the, the days of turkey hunting in the 80s and 90s. So anyway, um, I, I'm sitting there listening to him speak. And at the end, I had a few questions, raised my hand, asked a few questions. At the end of the seminar, he gave me a call called the old Turk. So immediately Quaker boy had me, you know, they, that's all I ran for the first 10 years while I was turkey hunting. Um, I called in, uh, 
my first turkeys with the old boss hen and the old Turk. And it just kind of blossomed from there. Then some of these same guys that, uh, came up and put on these, you know, participate in these leases for duck for deer hunt, um, wanted to try turkey hunting. It was just starting. So actually I was calling in turkeys for guys before I could hunt. And, um, I actually killed my first turkey. So no I had kidding. a few inches for real. Yep. So <laughs> in, in 1992 and 93, I was calling in turkeys with old Turk. Um, like I said, it was just a passion. I, I couldn't spend enough days out outside. So then the guys would call me in and say, well, let's, I got a turkey tag. It was still the application system. So usually those guys didn't have like the fifth, sixth season, which is currently is today at most out of staters had at that time. And so I'm running ridges and just calling for people. And it just kind of blossomed over time. So that's, that's how, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door of turkeys. And my dad was never really a big turkey hunter. I just, I, I just came up in the time where Wisconsin was really taking off. And, you know, once I started to go into some of these events, I, learned from a few people and found out that, you know, it's tiny. It's everybody knows everybody. And it's a very small little industry. Yeah, man, that, that is so awesome to hear, you know, your perspective. A lot of times I have guys on who, um, were kind of in the day before turkeys in Wisconsin and remember all that, or I'll talk Mm -hmm. to guys who've come up since then who all Mm -hmm. they've ever known is really high turkey numbers. It's cool to hear your story. It's unique because you were there kind of, during that that Correct. period where yep. the populations were taking off. And now, Absolutely. you know, southwestern Wisconsin, uh, I, I was actually talking to a guy from the NWTF the other day, and he was like, you know, Wisconsin is the most underrated turkey state Agreed. in the country. And I concur. Like, Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I, I think he's right. I don't want him to say that too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know that I want everybody to know. No, I'm kidding. Um, I but, exactly what you're saying. but man, what a, what a cool experience. Tell me what that was like for you kind of as the population boomed. I mean, we're in a time period right now where, you know, my, my family down in Georgia or Alabama, you know, further South, they're dealing with declining populations right. and they're asking the question, what are we going to do with turkeys? And Wisconsin is either stable now or increasing still. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what, what was that process like for you to, to just sit back and watch these, you know, new game animals kind of come onto the scene so quickly? Humbling. So, like I said, I, I there were days when uh, some of our the leases that we had butted up against public. So we hunt a ton of public, and I, I, we kill a ton of turkeys up public. So there was many times where we'd hear a gobble, you know, early 90s, and that was a successful hunt. Wow. And, and so... With that being said, when you came across a turkey track, there was a great likelihood I was trying to cover it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was that kind of mindset. Um, with that being said, each and every year, it seemed like, okay, I, I heard a bird there. Now I'm hearing three birds there. Now on this ridgeline, there, there used to be two. I'm hearing six different gobblers, you know, a year or two later. It just, it was a constant influx of bird numbers. And it was amazing. Um, the first... We had, now going back, it, it, it was a different time. And I'll be very clear on that. So we had five days. We season started on a Wednesday and they ended on a Sunday and you only had, we mirrored kind of the Missouri approach. So noon is when it ended. Wow. So we killed, you know, I, today I kill as many birds from 10 to two and you know, 10 in the morning till two in the afternoon as I do off roost or as I do at six o'clock at night. 
Um, but you only had till noon to kill that bird. So it, it, it changed it the way you hunt. It changed the way you perceived and entered the woods in, in numerous venues and your tag, your availability, you know, so getting a tag was a big deal. It's kind of like going back to early nineties when, when you were deer hunting too, getting a doe tag was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so it was just a whole different perspective change comparable to where we were at. So getting through that, I, I think I killed my first bird, you know, 94, 93, it took me two or three years personally to kill my, my own bird. Um, and then later part of the nineties, we had this just astronomical amount of birds, both on private and public land throughout Southwest Wisconsin or, you know, Southern Wisconsin, they kind of, Boscobel was a hub, you know, and they just kind of influxed out of all of that area. Um, we're seeing numbers galore. It was a big deal to get a second tag. You know, we, we went from one tag and you're, you're able to hunt five days and then you had the availability to draw a second tag. That was a huge deal. Usually that was like the fifth or sixth season. And then all of a sudden the DNR decided, well, through this, we can pay for these, you know, we can, we can sell these ordeal. So then all, the new culture came about where we can, they're selling tags availability, you know, all these extra tags for end of March for usually, you know, third, fourth, fifth and sixth season. So it was just this huge change. 20. I, I, I remember this. We, we started filming. Um, we grew up the days of, like I said, Bill Jordan, um, Jim Zumbo. I'll, I'll do a little bit of name dropping, kind of show my age. Uh, Dick Kirby, all of these huge monumental people. And I love the monster bucks, you know, idea of going out and filming all these hunts and doing all this kind of stuff. So I had a friend of mine that hunted with me all the time. So we started, uh, he had, uh, his work actually, his mom's work had a VHS camcorder. So the late nineties were out there filming most of our hunts, And it was, it was just to see this huge transition of where we're at today and the technology being utilized to where, you know, me and my buddy started when, while we were in middle school and high school, it's just astronomical. And, yeah. and again, it's just, it's, these are before the days of learn to hunt before the days of youth season. It was, it was a privilege. It was an, to be invited to go to these events, you know, as a kid in grade school and middle school, your dad and his buddies inviting you to go on these hunts was, it was a big deal. And so it, it, it was just a, a different perspective base comparable to where we're at today. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest advancement? I mean, so I, I started, I tried my hand at turkey hunting when I was younger, um, yep. down, down in Alabama. I got burned so bad that I just didn't want to do it anymore. And there it's kind of the old school turkey hunter uh, culture of you find a guy on your lease, you know, they have big hunting clubs down there where, you know, you got 3,600 acres was what I grew up with. There were a couple of guys that turkey hunted, only two or three, but you go and talk to them about turkeys and they act like they don't exist. Uh, But if you want to go hunt one of their favorite areas, even if it's during deer season, They'll come over and they'll just kind of be like, hey, you need to be careful down there because this is where I like to turkey hunt. You know, and, it, and it's, they're real secretive. They don't want to share the information. Uh, kind of that old guard of turkey hunter. I mean, uh, Colonel Tom yep. Kelly talks about it in his book, 10th Absolutely. Legion. And, and yep. he, what he describes is what I grew up with, with that old Absolutely. guard of turkey hunter. So I, then I get to Wisconsin and I, I have a guy who comes up. He says, hey, let me take you turkey hunting. And I was I was blown away by this. I'm like, what do you mean? Let me, <laughs> let me take you turkey hunting. So we go out on the first morning and I was like, you know, what will, what's going to be the plan? And he looks at me with a confused face and he says, 
if we don't have a bird on the ground by 9 a.m., something's wrong. And I said, I, I said dude, what, wait, yeah, wait, what do you mean if we don't have a bird on the ground by nine? So we walk in and we, we cross this little Creek and literally there are two Toms that watch us cross the Creek. They're yep. directly above us. They're roosted right over this little bridge that he had. And they just kind of watch, they don't even fly off. They putt at us and stuff, but they're, they're more just bothered by us being there. We're yep. an inconvenience to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we get back into the, into the, into the property. He calls, a, there's a Tom gobbling. He calls a couple of times. The Tom flies down directly to where his blind is. We're in two separate blinds, kind of peeks into his blind, looks around, turns and walks off. But then I, I get a clean shot when he leaves the other guy's blind and we're done by, you know, the bird had been on the ground for a solid three and a half minutes and just blew my mind. And it's, and, and I've had great Turkey hunting, you know, since then it's kind of branching out of my own, but what have you seen? You know, I, I have come into this, all that to say, I've come into this late in the game with all these tools at my disposal as a Turkey hunter and a lot Absolutely. of stuff to just really fast track the learning curve for me. Oh. Right. Like I didn't have Absolutely. to go through 10 years of hunting low numbers to right. try to figure out birds. Um, mm-hmm. I had success immediately. Like my few weeks later, I went out and called one in on my own and had a great, great. you know, great hunt. What are some of the biggest advancements that you've seen in Turkey hunting over the years uh, and that have maybe shaped or changed the way that you hunt or the way that you see people hunt? Knowledge, hmm. the, the influx of information, and I, here's and I, a prime example of that is what I thought I knew twenty years ago, compared to what I thought I knew ten years ago, even five years ago, is just astronomical. So, yeah. so growing up, um, I gauged every bird, you know, for, as a Jake, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, then once you get up in that four-year-old category, by the length of their spurs. Hmm. So I, I aged every bird like that. Last five years, we've come to find out that it's all genetics. Spurs are, have no more relevancy regarding age than antlers do regarding, you know, deer. It, it's, it's a genetic trait. So it, just the change of information, the, the, new, the new knowledge that's becoming available. You know, for example, blinds. You know, it was always a big deal. We didn't, there was no blinds growing up. I, I think I killed my first turkey in jeans, for God's sake. You know, the real tree mossy oak were huge. But uh, at the end of the day, it was, it was still, they were getting their feet up, you know? So it was, it was, the amount of knowledge that we have today is just astronomical. Um, And when we made these little blinds up, it was all just dead leaves and, and, and branches and putting stuff together. Um, If you'd have told me 20 years ago that you could set a blind in the middle of a field and not and not disrupt turkey behavior. I just said, you're nuts. You know, think about what we're saying here. So what we've learned just regarding turkey biology, turkey behavior, and um, just a plethora of ideas. You know, it's, we've come to find out that turkeys are a very social bird. You know, they're very decoy friendly comparable to other species of game that are out there. Um, we, we learned that, you know, sticking, I had a, years ago, I had a, a decoy called the little Turk, right? And it was nothing more than a decoy, yay big, but it was very easy and convenient to carry around. Um, we went through all different sorts of decoy type of processes throughout the course of these years. Um, we actually cut a hen and, uh, a, like a full flambeau decoy styrofoam hen, put the little Turk in the middle of it 
And I, my first experience with a turkey fighting a decoy was under a situation like that. So it, it's huh. just, there's so much knowledge regarding where we're at today. You, you can bypass all of that and, and find out that, you know, you can reap a dominant bird. You know, they're, they're, that's a possibility. Yep. You, you can set a blind up in the middle of a field and work birds. That's a possibility. I mean, it's just the learning curve is just astronomical comparable to where we were years ago. Yeah. Do you mind if I pick your brain on the whole topic of reaping for just a second? Because you just oh, you, we're going right into ethics. Dude, going right into ethics. Dude, Absolutely. I, I, I wanna I wanna hear about it because I've been a part mm-hmm. of reaping a turkey. I successfully reaped a turkey at this point. Mm. Um but I hear all of this stuff about it, right? Like all these ethical questions. And I get it. I get it. Oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, I just want to hear your take on it. You just mentioned it. So I had a Tom, um, one of my very, it was actually the opening morning of season A. I get into this area. And one of the things I love about season A, they may, they may not respond to your yelps very well. Like they may not come in, run into your calling. But if you get some decoys out there, they will break their necks to try to get to your decoys. Absolutely. So I had a, a couple of Toms come running in and uh, shot the lead Tom, right? Get get that done. Um, there's one Tom back in the background. He was kind of the dominant looking bird of the group, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he strutted the whole time. He wasn't in a big hurry to get there. Meanwhile, a mm-hmm. couple of Jakes and a couple of other younger Toms come sprinting in kind of thing. I hunted that bird all season long, and I knew it was him mm-hmm. because he was missing two feathers from his tail fan so i I knew it was him uh so we get in there uh or i I hunt him all season long and and can't get him to respond can't get him to come in or whatever and finally we get to the very end of the season and i go to one of my buddies who's got a reaping decoy and we drive past this property we tried another property early in the morning no luck we drive past this specific property uh and he's out there in the field. And we know it's him because of his, his tail fan. Mm-hmm. We get out there with the reaping decoy. I've got the video camera. Next thing you know, he gets inside of that thing's bubble and it turns and comes right at him. Turkey's down. Right? So, obviously, very, very uh, effective on a dominant bird and a bird that's that's seen other decoys and, you know, hen yelps. Right? So, what are your thoughts on the whole process of reaping? I, uh... I think it's a valuable tool. And I, I, with that being said, what we see, it was 10, 12 years ago, what we see um, when it became pretty prevalent and, and made famous, um, it's not as, as, it's not as user friendly as it's portrayed to be. I'll be yes. very clear on that. So yes. I push as many birds. I, I've, I've reaped numerous times and the general public is, is their consensus out on that. It, it goes back into the ethics. And I am, I'm, I'm a firm believer if it is legal in the state and each state varies considerably with their legalities on what they believe is ethical and not. And so it changes from state to state. Um, but if it's legal in that state, it's, it's a tool to be utilized. Yep. Um, and, and with that being said, I've had fun with it. I, I, I have, I've, I, I carry a full fan with me at all times. And that's what I use as my reaping decoy when need, when available. Um, I don't use it as much as I used to. I, when it first came out, I thought it was kind of fun, but I, I'll, I pushed, I screwed up as many hunts as I had successes on, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. um, w- with that being said, little tidbit re- regarding the thought process with it. So 
we had a few, uh, we were working with a, a vendor, you know, in the outdoor industry. And, um, we do, we did a lot of video type stuff, right? So we killed a few reaping and we were going to look at, you know, using this for content for a vendor. It wasn't a, a, a six months later, a year later, the outpouring of social media and the cries on this is, this is unethical. This is, you know, this is, this is completely unfair to the bird. And, and so we scrapped it. You know what I mean? It yeah. was, it's, so it's, yep. it, but it's a very perspective based, uh, approach and, and uh, all of turkey hunting. Uh, that's all of hunting period is ethics. You know, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, it, it's you usually one-on-one in the woods with this quarry. So with this game, I should say, and ethics are a, a huge piece of that. And it's to be utilized. It's a personal stance. Doesn't mean it right or wrong. As long as it's legal in that state, use it, you know, or, or, yep. or at least look into it. Um, with that being said, if you don't, if you choose not to use it, that's awesome. That's awesome. But don't judge, another person for how they hunt. And I, I want to be very clear on that. It's we're all on the same freaking team here. We're 4% of the population. So let's not argue amongst ourselves. That's right, man. That's so good. And, and I, I love the way you said it now. Um, you know, with, all, with reading and research and all that I've done. So I, I actually, I reaped a bird last year and I'm like mm-hmm. you, man, I'm these people that say it's not fair to the bird because they can't resist it. I'm like, you've never tried it then. Right. Correct. Like, or if you did try it, you tried it once and it worked right. and you were like, right. that was too easy. Well, yeah, right. on that bird, go try right. the other exactly. 15. Right. Uh, I mean, I've, right. I've busted right. quite a few birds, um, Same here. you know, trying that out. And any Tom that is not looking for a fight is he's not gone. coming in. He's, he's walking away, man. And he's, a lot of times he's doing it at a pretty good clip. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh, and another problem that I've run into, it, it's really interesting, I think, in the turkey world. Hunting turkeys, if you're going, because I've tried to use it before where a tom is just hinned up. He's got six or seven, eight hens around yep. him. I'll go in, and I don't know if it's because of the way I'm going right at them, you know, and kind of kind of charging straight ahead. Mm-hmm. I've had mm-hmm. the hens come to me, leave the tom yep. and come to me, and him just kind of tuck tail and walk Ooh, the I- other direction. And yep. I'm so that to me is really interesting. I wonder if they think, you know, well, maybe there's a new dominant bird in town or they're just curious or. Or he's been fighting a lot. So here's a prime example. Um, you know, I would say 2010 to 2012 is when we hit our, just our plateau of turkeys. Right. So I, I, I'd hit a ridge line up and I would be on a setup and I could have four different times come in on me at the course of the morning. You know, I mean, since that time it's really, it's not that same type of hunt. With that being said, I've watched turkeys last week of March, first week of April, one time go out there and fight, you know, they're still in their, in their, in their winter flocks, fight six or seven and just, so that you can walk up to them and they don't care. You know I mean? They're, all their mood is, is fighting and establishing that hierarchy. So I, I don't really believe that the, the decoy is, 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 is like flaring them or scaring them. You know, they, like I said, they're pretty decoy friendly animals. They're just yep. on the move. They, 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 yep. they're not, they don't want to fight, you know, or it doesn't look natural. That could also be, you know, it, it were, you know, turkeys usually zigzag when they're coming into a spread versus coming to a straight line. Yep. Um, so it's, there's so much to these animals. And if you go out there and just watch them, you know, starting now and through the course of the year, turkeys today are a whole different animal than they are June 1st. Yep. You know, it's, 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 it's fun to watch and it's fun to be a part of their world. 
Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm gonna be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, tacticam.com and share your hunt with tacticam all right man that that's good you're about to get me off on this whole turkey tangent and we got other things to talk about so uh regrouping a little bit so you kind of you cut your teeth with turkeys right you're guiding folks Mm -hmm. by the time you're i mean before you're even hunting on your Mm -hmm. own right so uh Mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about how you transitioned from hunting being you know this passion this hobby this thing that you love Mm -hmm. and you just love sharing it with others to kind of where you are today, where you're doing that for a living? So, um, great question. So I, I knew when I was in high school that I was going to make some sort of income on the outdoors in some way, shape or form. You know, I didn't know whether that's going to be in the guiding aspect, writing. Um, with that being said, it just, it came very natural. So I had, I was building a clientele base back in middle and high school. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, it just, it kind of, it kind of led to that next step. Um, and it, I could not be outdoors enough. You know, I, the seasons for turkeys at that time was five days, you know, so I wanted to be out and under, be a part of their world. So I'm out guiding people. Um, it, 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 it kind of picked up right where my dad left off. So I, he, we had these leases going on. Um, a lot of guys starting to age out and get out of hunting. I just kind of expanded onto that and kind of move forward. You know, I, I wanted, I did not want the, I knew the outdoors would be a huge piece of my life. So I just picked up and continued to make forward movement happen regarding that. Um, come, I've learned so much over the course of the last 20 years. I think, I think Ridge and river running, don't quote me on this. I think it was founded in 09. You know, I've been guiding for years prior to that, but we, we decided to make that in that next step into LLC and that 09 type of area. So it just, it, it just slowly blossomed in there. I'd guide a few people a year. Um, and then, uh, I, I, I was deer hunting quite a bit in the fall, um, doing a lot of waterfall hunting. Um, so how do we expand this into, to, into creating a, a an income and, and make this successful? So, you know, the outdoors is awesome. You can turn it into a four seasons type of event. If you truly choose, you can fish, you can hunt, you can, you can do all kinds of things. And then once you, you, you decide to go down that road, the people you can associate with, you know, the, your colleagues for lack of a better term are again, very small. So yep. you come to find out and learn that, you know, most full-time guides that I know are nomadic by nature and they're good quality people, you know, but they're, they're, they're adventurous. They're nomadic. Um, so they're, they're guiding. You can waterfall guide now just, just in North America, nine months out of the year, you know, but wow. with that being said, 
that's, it comes at a cost. So you're gone, <laughs> you know, you're traveling North America starting at latter part of, of August and you're not getting back until May, you know, but wow. so if you're, if you're wanting to have a family, you got to, you got to just, what's important to you? What, what's your perspective base? You want to be out in the woods, you know, 250 days a year. You want, what, what, what are you trying to accomplish? I, I decided I wanted to have a family, so I'm not my buddies that are traveling, you know, nine months out of the year. I, it's hard for, for me to be gone three to four months out of the year, let alone nine months. So, hey, sorry, Tasha, I'm, I'm, I'll see you. I'll see you this summer. You know, it's not it's not a perspective <laughs> thing that I wanted to do, um, but it, it can be achieved, you know. And so it's it's how big do you want to go? Um, in, in my opinion, a lot of guys get too big too fast and they crumble. You know, uh, another situation of guys just are very happy to stay where they're at. Um, for our turkey hunts as a prime example, I'm very limited. I, I only take uh, four to eight people out, uh, so four to eight groups, let me phrase that, out a year. You know, I now I'm not, but that I, I'm putting those limits on myself because I have a family and, and I don't, uh, in all of the, the details that, that, that can occur to that, you know. So once you bite off a big leaf, you know, we've all been burned in different ways, shapes, or form, you've got that money out there, you've got to fill it. You know, so yep. when when COVID hit, it changed the perspectives on a lot of different venues. You know, so people started reeling their their stuff back in a little bit. Oh my God, um, I saw people just belly up and and just lose everything they had. So it just it changes changes your viewpoints on what you want to do, how you want to go, and, and how you want to get there. And there's no right or wrong answer to it. Um, but it, being outdoors, like I said, is, is something that it wasn't, it was a non-negotiable. It was something that my family is going to experience, whether they like, they could choose to live in New York city, you know, by the time of 25, but I promise you, they're going to know how to butcher a deer. They're going to know how to <laughs> reap a turkey. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It is what yep. it is. Funny story. And I, I, it's all perspective based going back to, um, how we view the world, right? My daughter, my, I, my oldest daughter is seven years old, right? So, um, she is grown up on venison and bear and elk and ducks and turkeys and everything. Right. So she, uh, she takes cold lunch four days a week. Right. And she loves summer sausage. So I killed a bear a few years back and, and she eats, she eats bear summer sausage, you know, all the time she's in class at, at the lunch table and she's eating her summer sausage. And one of the, her colleagues come up or one of her peers come up to her and say, what are you eating? Oh, bear. And you're eating a bear. Avery looks at her straight in the face. You've never had bear before. So my, my point being is it's very perspective. Oh, that's funny. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. It's very perspective based, man. That's so Living good. The dream. That's so good from a seven year old. Wait, you've never had bear. Like how, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how are you this old mm -hmm. and you've not had bear yet? Like exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Can't fathom mm -hmm. that, man. That's, mm -hmm. that is incredible. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. So you're, 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 uh, your company now, Ridge and River Running Outfitters, right? Yep. They get that right? Yep, that's okay. correct. And you so guys, Ridge, well, go, ahead. go ahead. So Ridge and River Running Outfitters was established in 09. At that time, we strictly did uh, turkey hunts. Um, and I was taking, I was probably taking 10 or 12 people out at that time. Um, we keep it some leases, some you know bigger leases going. We, we hunt a lot on public land too. Um, it depends on where the birds are at. Um, then we, I, we were doing some duck hunts at that time too, just inland duck hunt type stuff. Um, at, I was also spending a lot of time, like I said, I cut my teeth on the Wisconsin river. So I learned, uh, I graduated at the university of Wisconsin, Platteville 
and um, I was a student teaching at Boscobel. So I was spending a lot of time in Southwest Wisconsin. Um, down there, I, I met a guy, I met some people that were spending some time on the Mississippi River, right? Um, so once that door opened up, whole nother, you know, change of viewpoints of life happened. Mm. Um, so then I spent uh, a lot of time on the Mississippi River, and in 2015, we opened up the doors to big river hunts on, on the Mississippi for ducks and waterfowl. So it's, like I said, it, 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 it you can turn it into a year round ordeal. If, if that's your sole process, Ridge and river running, we're strictly at this present moment, strictly turkeys in the spring and waterfall hunts in the, in the fall. Okay. All right. So you guys, you're not doing deer. Did you do deer before or? So we did. We okay. did. Yep. Right. So, yep. So, and you can't do it all and be successful. I, I cannot, I can't do it all and be successful. I deer hunt. I've deer hunted every year since, uh, I was 12 years old and that whole, and we spent a lot of time deer hunting. Um, we got out of guiding deer hunts and moved strictly over to waterfall hunts. But with that being said, from a family and friend point of view, I come back and I hunt deer every year. And my wife this year went on her first deer hunt. So we, we still deer, we run trail cams where that's, that's still an integral piece of what we do, but I'm, I'm not that's not part of our repertoire, repertoire regarding guiding at this time. Not yeah. saying it won't happen down the road, you know, but not right now. Sure. And, and that, man, that makes sense. And, and I'll, I'm, I want to ask you a question and it may be, it may be too close to home. It may be one of those industry inside kind of things. Uh, when it comes, to, it, it seems like guiding for deer. It's another animal. Yeah. It, it, it's so hard to keep your limited amount of ground fresh enough Right. to provide every group a quality hunt. Like did that play right. into your decision for that as oh, well? Keeping leases oh, was yeah. a huge piece of that. So I can tell you it's, 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 it's unique. You know, there's certain situations where kids today do not, you know, want to be on video games and, and their family have these working farms and they don't want to take advantage of that. As soon as you get that ground up and moving and you're starting to see quality deer, you know, if QDMA is taking place, you're starting to see, dividends take place then all of a sudden an uncle a family member wants to come in and hunt it so that yeah. changes that dynamic regarding you know so just that's 100 percent correct keeping leases available you know we're not i'm not dealing with and, and that's all perspective based i'm dealing with wisconsin you know yep. we're a big we're a big piece of ground is 250 acres you know if i talk to some buddies out in montana or wyoming that's a pasture you know that's yeah. it's, it's all it's all relative you know yep. be very clear on that um, and I can tell you from that, 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 that changed my dynamic around, you know, so I, I, I want the deer hunting cultures very strong in my family. I just, at this present moment with my small family, it does not meet our repertoire of where, what I can call, what I can provide quality hunts to. Yeah. Well, so. and, I, and I think that's just a big piece. And, and I had a feeling that that was where you were going to go with that. And, mm-hmm. and I, so I wanted to highlight like, Guys, this is something that you could offer, but like you just said, you don't feel that with the present way of things going and with your family, that's not something that you could provide the, the quality of hunt that you would want to be right. able to right. and be faithful to your family at the same time. I think that right. speaks to you as a person. So I wanted to highlight that a little bit and just say, like, that's a stand-up move, man. I, I appreciate that. Now, it, so, Josh, I, I think you, you've been in the outdoors for a while. It takes a lifetime to build a solid name for yourself. It takes milliseconds to destroy it. And I've seen yeah. people all over the country 
you know, they start believing the articles that are written about them. And next thing you know, that height of arrogance and narcissism is through the freaking roof, you know? So stay humble, man. You know what I'm saying? We're, yeah. we're all on the same freaking team here. We're all wanting to enjoy the outdoors, to the best of our abilities it's, and say what you're going to do. Yeah. That's a, it's a big deal. And, and we have enough problems inside just trying to create quality hunts when things are going well, you know what I'm saying? What, <laughs> let alone That's right. issues are arising. That's right. Very good. Man, let's, let's shift a little bit. And I want to hear uh, specifically about your, the turkey hunts, kind of how they break down for you guys. Like what, if somebody called you, what, what could they expect? But then also what all goes into your, um, into your guiding and, and a successful hunt. So I have found a process that works really, really well for me in the area of Wisconsin that I hunt for turkeys, right? Like it's, yep. and, and it, and it's evolved into like a year round thing. Like I, as soon as I'm tagged out for deer season, basically, or deer season ends, I'm obsessively trying to find the birds and watch what they're doing year round. Like I want to know where they're at all the time. And yeah, uh, I don't know how much that helps, but I do know I'm obsessed. So walk me through your process for getting your clients on birds and what a hunt might look like. So, um, typically right now we're about a year out with our clientele. So by all means, call me tomorrow and I try to get back to everybody as soon as I possibly can. I know I've ticked a lot of people off where I, I get caught up with something and I don't get back to you. I will get back to you as soon as I can. I try to make that pretty timeable. Um, with that being said, we're about a year out with our turkey hunt. Um, and I put people on a current waiting list if needed. Um, it's, I offer two and a half day hunt. So typically your hunt starts on a Saturday and then half a, uh, on Monday, you know, at, at noon. Um, we aren't offering lodging at this time. I'm asking my guys to stay at a hotel that I usually name a couple of little towns, um, either Stock or Columbia County. And um, we'll, we'll stay there. I meet you the morning of the hunt. I pick you up from your hotel and then you're with me for the, until nightfall. Um, we're hunting them up usually from sunup till sundown or until you can, you know, you kill your bird. So historically we're running about an 80 to 85% success rate. That's historically what we run. Um, the last few years it's, and we always have cancellations going on. So if you're on my, my cancellation list, there's always certain situations come up with clients, you know, um, that happen and it is what it is. Most of my guys are repeat guys. Um, and most of them are out of state. Um, typically one or two groups that come in, um, are, throughout every, every other year, every third year on a cancellation basis, kind of cool. The last 10 years, I'd say like starting in 2014, 2015, I've had guys that are chasing the 49 for, mm. for, from a turkey hunting perspective. So that's kind of cool. You know, yeah. so most guys that are hunting with me are hunting five or six states a year. Um, and they're, this is Wisconsin is one of their must stops. Right. Um, then I, like I said, about every third year I, I get a guy that comes in and he's on quest of the 49. So it, it's just, it's neat. What I love about it is the, the people you meet, they're all hunters. You know, I've taken doctors out, you know, neurosurgeons out and I've taken garbage men out. Um, and, and the perspective bases they bring in add to my repertoire as a turkey hunter and just the, the relationships that have been formed over the course of these years is just awesome. You know, I mean, it is absolutely positively awesome we all have the same perspective as loving these wild turkeys that's cool it's a neat thing to have yeah i'm I'm always curious to hear anytime i'm working with or talking with somebody who is a guide now whether that be hunting or fishing or whatever it is Mm -hmm. one of my big questions is always 
how would you describe like the dream client? Because there are people, uh, I've been around and done enough other things to know. There are people that make your job more difficult uh, and not just a little bit more difficult. They make it astronomically more difficult. And they do that in such a way that it also makes your job not fun at all too. So they, they kind of just crash the whole thing. So rather than saying, tell me some stories about terrible clients, what are some things that make people like an ideal client that you're like, man, this is the kind of guy that I can get on a bird that I want to work my hardest for and that, you know, his, you know, his approach or his mentality or whatever is going to set him up for success better than most. Expectations. Mm, the one word, expectation. So it, from my point of view, you know, I try to be as transparent as I possibly can, but there are many times this pre-context of expectations come in where because you're hiring a guide, ducks are going to fall from the sky. Fish mm. are going to jump into the boat. You're going to line this, this, this ridge line up and there should be 10 turkeys talking, you know, as sunrise approaches. So expectations first and foremost, it's, these are wild, wild animals. You know, I, and if we have a hunting contract or a hunting agreement that you sign off on, um, in order to book your hunt with us. And I want to be very clear. It's an adventure. It's, it's, and that's what it is. It's, it's an adventure. I do everything in my freaking power to get birds to cooperate. Sometimes it's not in the cart. It is. I've had situations where, you know, we've, we've hunted our butts off with quality people and, and it, it just did not pan out. It's, it's hunting. It yep. is what it is. Um, so those expectations, be realistic about those expectations. With that being said, going with it, just, just going with the flow, you know? So, um, I've had situations pop up where, um, guys, you know, well, I, I'm not going to reap a bird. Okay. That's awesome. That's just one last tactic that we, we can utilize. I've had guys line up that, and again, this is all ethics type of ordeal. I want, I want to strictly hunt out of a blind. I can't walk up down these ridges. That's fine. Okay. But that, with that being said, we limit the tools that are at our disposal. So it, it, a perfect ideal hunter is it, I'm not in, you know, same peak physical shape that I was at 22 years of age. With that being said, I try to keep myself in good enough shape where if I need to, man, we got to hump three or four miles that day. We're going to do what we got to do, you know, carrying packs and doing all the other stuff, do what you got to do. So being in reasonable enough shape to exert yourself over the course of, of you know, two and a half days. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had guys show I've, I've hunted with guys. We're kind of running and gunning at times. And the very next day I go to pick them up. They come out and say, they can't, they can't walk. That's, that's happened. Wow. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fine. But then we're limiting our success rate. You know, that's, it is what it is, guys. We're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll hunt, um, but we're going to be setting up in the blind over here today. And this is what we're doing. Now, with that being said, I have had other, we may hunt out of a blind. Uh, Acreage can vary, you know, very, very much. So we may set up out of a blind three days each and every day too, um, because of the conditions that are presenting themselves because of where we're hunting. So, um, but being flexible and, and making sure those expectations meet your needs, you know, and so making, we're, we're, we're talking about full transparency and, and making sure everything that we've talked about is taking place. I've yeah. had, like I said, I've had guys tell me they're in peak physical condition and it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your, your, your scouting process. Um, because man, you're, you're everything hinges on you knowing where the birds are 
and what the birds are doing. One of the things that I personally love about Wisconsin is it's not is is how visible the birds are compared mm-hmm. to other states. You know, you go down south, boy, it's really hard to see a turkey. Like you just mm-hmm. don't see them out a lot. We don't have a lot of crap crop fields. There's not a lot of ag. So, you know, turkeys in Wisconsin, very, very visible. I love just sitting back and glassing for a morning, just watching. What do they do? I mean, what better way to spend a morning, right? Um, So what all goes into your scouting process? Early on, um, we turned it into family adventures, right? So I'm taking my kids out and um, before school in the morning or after school. And about a week or a week and a half from today, it turns into – you know, a daily or weekly, you know, a few days a week adventure where we're going out and glassing fields. But more specifically, we're getting up a little earlier in the morning. And while these birds are still grouped up in their winter flocks, we're trying to get head counts, you know? So mm. um, that, that's a, from my point of view, while they're still grouped up, it's a prime opportunity to at least get numbers of where you're at, you know? Um, so we, and we're covering large swaths of territory and that may not just be, where we're hunting, but, you know, neighboring locations around the area, you know, as they're in their winter formats, they're, they're still all grouped up. So they're going to disperse throughout the course of the season. Um, but just because they're not on yours right now, doesn't mean they're not going to be over there, you know, a month from today. So getting, looking at, I, I, I'm going going to age myself here, but years ago I, I would grab a plat book and go down the road with today's tools, you know, hunt stand, or Onyx maps, you have the availability to key in on a lot of different areas and, and, and do your due diligence. So once you get getting number counts is my top priority. Um, then once we, once we start getting number counts, you can go back and decide, okay, well, I'm taking X amount of people out this year. This is, this is, well, this is an area and never putting your eggs in one basket, you know? Okay. Just, I personally, I, there's been some years where I've ran into more hunter interference with neighbors and on private land than I have on public for God's sake. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So yeah. make, making, making sure that you're not putting all your eggs in a basket. Okay. We've got, I know I've got four area, four birds in this mile radius or, you know, this mile and a half radius. I go over here and I've got three birds here. I, I go on this ridge line. We had an influx of Jake's last year. I've got seven, seven times running around over in this area. So having many opportunities and then adding more if you possibly can. Yeah, that's good, man. I, I have found, you know, for me, it seems like a much bigger deal to have multiple properties for turkeys than it is for deer. I have, I have some faith at least where I'm hunting deer in Wisconsin. If I get on a piece of property that holds deer, there's one or two there that I'm going to be really happy with. And there's probably a couple more that I'm going to be pretty happy with, especially if I'm hunting at that, you know, sweet spot of the year, right around the rut turkeys. However, there might be a property that it holds, you know, four Jake's all spring long, right? you know, and if, and if that's the only place I have to Turkey hunt, then I'm out of luck. Mm -hmm. So I need Mm -hmm. to have five, six different places that I've got permission on and I need to know what the birds are doing on this piece of public, you know, and, right. and have a couple of different options. Cause like you said, man, I ha- I have a place that it, the farm has just been a honey hole for me. Yep. And last year during, I forget which, which season it was, but my wife had a tag. So I took her out and we're sitting there. We're listening to birds gobble. They're doing what they normally do. They roost on the neighbor's property. 
fly down, kind of do their thing, walk the fence row or walk the, the edge of this field up from this little creek and then pop out into the ag field where, where we were sitting. Where mm-hmm. we're, we're sitting there, and next thing you know, a shotgun goes off on the neighbor's <laughs> property. Yeah, I've hunted this so. place for three years and have no, never, ever heard another hunter on that property. And, and huh? I've tried to get permission there. And the guy says, no, some people that work for me hunt there already. Well, I'd never seen them. And lo and behold, that one morning they come out. And that changed. I think she must have had season A. Because that changed the hunting on that property for the rest of the year. It's real. Those it's guys so being on that so place real. changed the whole neighboring property for the entire yep. year. Yep. Which changes yours. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, it changed everything on the, on the place right. that I loved to hunt. Uh, to, to the point where I, I struggled out there and had to go right. other places. Else, yeah. It's so real. It's so, so real. It, which kind of leads to the next interlude. Over the, I know there's been studies done, but how long does it take to replenish that bird to come back? Let's say you kill a bird on there, right? How long does it take? Just going off experiences, we're seeing about 18 months to, to two years wow. in order to get, you know, that's what we're seeing. So, some of our areas that we have access to, we've been hunting for a lot, a lot of time, we limit, you know, knowing that, you know, the neighbors are hunting it pretty hard or maybe they didn't get out there this year. So knowing that roughly 18 months, 24 months, that's going to take another bird to replenish that area changes how we go about looking at things too. Yeah, man, that, that's really good. Cause I actually, so I, I ended up tagging one bird on, on mm-hmm. this property there last year, which, which I was very happy with. Um, but for the entire rest of the season, and I, I got lucky enough where I had either myself or my kids or my buddies all had tags. And right. so I was keeping up with the birds on this. I hunted all six seasons and I was yep. keeping up with what the birds were doing, uh, you know, either for me or for a friend. Cause I want, I want to know on all these right. different properties, you know, right. what are the birds doing? Right. And literally on this property, a group of four Jakes was already on it. They were on it early in the year and they were there before season and they were there all season long, and I shot that one tom that I did. I left, brought all my camera gear and everything to the car, came back to get the tom, and the four jakes are sitting there stomping on him in the middle of the field. <laughs> somebody shoots the somebody shoots a bird on the neighboring property, and I don't. And now I got some trail camera pictures of toms moving through, but not like with a lot of consistency or anything right. like that. And those those jakes ran that property for the entire year. All time. Now, I'm hoping this year that means it's replenished. But the year before right. this property, you know, opening morning, I called in nine birds at the same right. time. Uh, mm-hmm. three, of, three of them were Jake's and mm-hmm. the rest of them were Tom's. Mm-hmm. So we go from that to now we took one bird off the property to, you know, this year. I don't know what's going to happen, but right. Absolutely. very Absolutely. different, very different hunting. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about this dispersal time, because one of the one of the things that I always hear or have heard folks say a lot is like, hey, doesn't matter if you have a winter flock on this property. Uh, come spring, they could be anywhere. I have found from my experience, though, if you've got a winter flock, they're not all leaving. You're going to have some birds. Does, does that make sense to you? It does. It does. It does. It, and. I've heard that song and dance and it, it, again, it depends on the property. Now, if you're hunting vast area of wilderness, you know, public area, you know, that we're talking up into the thousands of areas that they can traverse, you know, travel a lot of different places 
looking for food. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down yeah. to habitat. You know, yeah. we're, they're going to go where the foods are at. They're going to go where the, the cover is to, to build nests. And you're going to have toms around those areas, you know? So from a guiding point of view or from a turkey hunting point of view, I also key in on where I run into nests, you know, and, and use that knowledge down the road. Typically, if I find one or two nests pretty close by, there's a great probability we've got toms somewhere, you know, close by in that vicinity. So, yeah. um, and when I, I've seen that hold true where, those big winter format, those big winter flocks don't necessarily stay on that piece of ground in big, fast, you know, t- big t- cuts of timber. You know, I mean, I, I've seen them travel a long, a long ways. With that being said, in more timber ag fields, what we have around this area, um, they don't go to, you know, turkeys are no different than anything else. If they don't have to exert enough energy, they're not going to. You know, I mean, yeah. they, they're, it's, it's, it's a deer, deer, ducks, all of it, you know, they're, they want to be left alone. They want to be turkeys and they want to be able to feed. They want to be feel protected and, and live their life. It's just what the coolest process of all this is being a part of their world. Yeah. I can't put that enough. It's just awesome. Yep. And that's, so that has informed my, you know, permission strategy. If you, if, if you will, you know, yep. I go after those properties that hold large winter flocks yep. um, because yep. the terrain that we're in blocks of timber with mixed ag, um, if I can find those places that held a winter flock, it's yep. going to have toms on it in the spring. The places down yep. the road might have a couple too, but right. this right. one definitely will. You know what I mean? Uh, or at I least do. those are the spots that I seem to have, have more, more success on. Let's talk just a little bit about, and I don't want to take too much of your time today. We've been talking for almost an hour. Um, I want to hear a little bit about kind of your early season strategy because as I've talked to a lot of folks, I love that season A or season B if I can get them, right? I want to be in there that time of year because for me, I really love hunting unpressured birds. And yep. yeah, I love to call birds in. The first turkey or the second turkey I ever took, first one I ever took on my own was a bird I called in with no decoys, you know, the whole hide the hen thing, did the had the whole experience, right? But I love watching them turn inside out coming into a decoy. You know, I just... Awesome. I love that interaction. So I love early season. Tell me a little bit about your early season tactics and how it may differ a little bit when, you know, the weather can be cold. It can be hard when they're more flocked up. Yep. So when the state of Wisconsin changed um, their early season, what, seven, eight years ago or so, we were, we normally were a week ahead. Yep. So I, yep. I typically myself personally and some family, typically hunt the first two weeks of the season. And then we open up guiding usually third season till the very end. Um, some years we will do that early season stuff, but we're hunting family type stuff those first two weeks. And it is, it's a different animal. So the hierarchy today has been established. So first season now is usually what the middle of April. And usually that, that fighting, the bulk of the fighting has taken place. Doesn't mean all of it, you know, we still witness it at times but the bulk of the fighting has taken place. The hierarchy is being established. Um, you have a, a, a dominant Tom that is got four or five other Toms around him. If you got, if you're in a pretty good area. So we use a lot of decoys. Um, but again, it depends on the clientele last year. Here's a prime example. I, I, I had a big piece of public, uh, ways from here that I've been dying to hunt, right? I just have not had the time to do it. So, um, with that being, he said, this is a big piece of public. Uh, my buddy who's also the cameraman. 
he went out there and, and he, he was able to do a little bit of scouting in the morning, a uh, day or two, heard a few birds. We had no idea, you know, so I love the idea of hunting new areas. So we showed up there fresh. I had no idea where birds were at. Didn't even know exactly what to anticipate. Just knew from scouting, you know, online that this looked really, really good. We got out there. I grabbed one decoy in my, in my hand. I had a Jake decoy with me and we just sat there and got, got down to a, a low point of the area, a lot of big ridges and just listened. Um, everything was relatively high that day. It was, conditions were kind of miserable. It was rain, you know, spitting rain, but birds were talking. So immediately we're, we're on the move. We're running up on top of this ridge. We got birds pegged. Um, birds started flying down. We got within a hundred yards of them, got into some screaming matches with a few hens. Um, and we're just learning th- this specific birds on this piece of proper on this piece of property. Right. We get up to the top, we got on the same level as, as them. Everything went down below. They were with hens. We moved on them two or three different times that morning, staying with it, trying to stay within that hundred to 150 yards, staying within their bubble, but also using the train in our advantage where, um, we weren't, we weren't going to bump them. Right. I, I do think we bumped, uh, two hens that morning. Um, as we were transferring back and forth, it wasn't until 11 o'clock that morning, Jake decoy, we set out, we brought one Tom come screaming in. We we're on the same level of him. He saw the Jake decoy came running to the Jake decoy and it was just a typical, awesome, you know, big timber type of hunt where they're decoy friendly. We got the whole show that morning from gobbling birds to them shutting up, you know, for a couple hours in the morning, them gobbling back again. Um, it was just an awesome show. Went out there a, a little bit later with uh, my wife and we hunted out of a blind, right? So she's relatively new to the hunting world. So much easier to, to, to move your gun, do this. Um, at that particular hunt, we, we, it was misting rain again, early season, set the decoy up. Um, we had a uh, Jake and a breeder decoy we were using, which is, a, which is fun. We used a lot. We use those combinations a lot. Um, and typical off roost, we were within 150 yards that morning to two or three different toms that we were aware of. But we also heard what we thought, you know, two or 300 yards away was a gaggle of Jake's did not know that we thought they were Jake's. So nothing came in right off the get go. Um, patience kills turkeys. It always does. You know, I mean, if, you, if I could talk about one thing in life, patience, you know, mm. we're super, there's a time and place to be super aggressive. We, and we utilize that, but we bust as many birds when we're super aggressive as we end up killing kind of yep. like the reaping ordeal, you know, yep. um, if you're hunting a, a specific area and you're hunting with, you got a limited amount of time to hunt. You know, I, I agree with being, aggressive. Um, we had a couple days, we decided to spend that morning in the blind about nine o'clock in the morning. We see a Tom walk out and grab the decoys and he comes just running, running right at, well, just, I, I love watching the show, right? Just absolutely love watching the show. So he comes beeline. It was about a hundred, 150 yards out, hundred yards out, comes beeline to the decoy. Um, behind them, I see seven or eight more turkeys pop up. They're ways out. They, they look like Tom's, but I couldn't quite tell. Um, he gets within about 15 yards. My wife's there waiting for me to call a shot, right? I wanted him to come in, attack the decoy and put on a show, right? The camera guy's right here. He's filming this whole ordeal going on. Um, my buddy on yeah, on the camera. Um, he gets within 10, 15 yards of the decoy stops immediately runs into the ditch. Now this is my wife's first time. Mm. I, the camera guy's right here. 
I could have her swing on and try to make a iffy shot, but she's got to move. She's got to, we got to adjust the camera. So the bird's still only 20 yards to the side, but he's in her viewpoint where she, he, she can't get an ethical shot. My bad to blame me hundred percent. We could have killed this bird two or three times. I did not because I want, I was arrogant and wanted to watch the show. Right. Mm. So I, I, I see that the Jake's coming in. Now this is, again, this is my wife's first real kind of Turkey hunt. Jake's come running in. Um, and they start putting on a shelf. Very easy day. I see my wife just heart through I see the gun going up and down like this. We're going to kill one of these Jake's. Oh, you yeah. know, we're, we're, oh, we're going yeah. to kill one of these Jake's. So it, it seemed like you asked my wife, it seemed like 20 minutes. It was literally a, a minute or two just to get them to separate. We had one separate on the side and she was able to take the shot and kill her for very first bird. Now, again, all perspective based. If you, if you'd have told her that that wasn't a trophy, hunt and an incredible, just a life altering experience. She did, she did said she'd have cussed you out. You know I mean? Yep. That could have been a 26 pound Tom that made the NWTF books. It was the same prize to her as it was, as it, this, you know, Jake was. So it was, it was an awesome, awesome, awesome hunt. Um, could we have killed a Tom? Yes. Did it work out absolutely perfectly? No. It, 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 and again, that goes back into ethics and just the perspective based of what is a good hunt to you. And it was, it was awesome. It's, it's a hunt. I, I, I don't remember all the days I'm in the woods. It's a hunt. I won't forget. It was an absolutely positively awesome hunt. Yeah. So that's Man. early season type stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How important is, um, roosting birds like the evening before for you? Oh, for enough, me, enough. for me, yep. I have had, I'll t- I'll just, I'll just tell you my mm-hmm. success rate is, uh, let me put it this way. I'm very, very, very confident if I've roosted a bird the night before. Yep. Um, Absolutely. But a lot of that is because the properties that I hunt, I know where they roost it. And a lot of people tell me they don't roost in the same place all the time. I'm like, well, you need to jump on a couple of the properties that I hunt because they definitely have really preferred roosting locations, right? And if they're roosted there, I kind of know what they're going to do. I kind of know yep. typically how they're going to behave when they come down off the roost. So I'm really, really confident. How important is that for your you and your hunting? Another perspective. If I'm, if it's a new area to me, you know, where I, I don't have a lot of hunting experience on that piece, it's a big deal. Yep. It's important. Yep. I'm going out and I'm, I, I want to know what's going on. I want to be as close as possible. If I know the lack of a better term woodsmanship of that area, you know, where the, where the, um, specific ridge lines are at, where the funnels are for lack of a better term, um, it's not as important, yeah. you know, and, and, and if I, if I, when I'm guiding full time and, and the season's under underway, I can tell you, you know, Turkey 30 in the morning comes very early. And if I don't have to go out and roost turkeys at night, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. but typically I'm hunting those birds where I know what's going on. So 20 years ago, I was out there almost every night putting turkeys to bed. The stage of the, of the game, if I'm hunting a new area or if the new the property that I'm on, I want to know. Um, if, if when possible, but it's not something that I am going to spend a lot of time doing, especially as the season gets later. Yeah. La- last question for you, you know, during this early time frame, especially, but maybe season long perspective, what would you say is your favorite decoy setup? Like if you're, if you're going to be banking on decoys, because I know I've got season a, I'm going to be banking on some decoys because <laughs> I'm not super confident in my ability to call that boss Tom away from his eight or nine hens. You know, it's, I'm just not that good. So if I, yep. 
Decoys. If I carry one decoy in the woods, and I use decoys about 50% of the time, to put that in perspective. Okay. So 50% of the time I, I, I'm killing turkeys without them, 50% of the time I'm, you know, hunting out of a blind and, and using a decoy. If I had one decoy to carry in the woods, it'd be a Jake. Okay. And that, that, that would be it. Um, with that being said, I'm also a waterfall hunter. You know, so if you, I, I like decoys. I like having birds do what I want them to do. You know, for me, half the game is having is the interaction and, and the communication I have with, with these animals. Um, so a lot of days I will utilize, uh, a feeder decoy if, you know, later in the afternoon or in the morning, um, I'm running, if I'm hunting a, a, a field of some sort, a corner of a field, I love just running a, a feeder decoy that looks pretty natural and coming out looking for for someone to talk to. Um, but there again, early season, I'm a firm believer in them. Um, I, with that being said, a few years back, uh, again, it's, it's what you, what's going on in the woods at that time. I've used full body decoys. Um, there's, there's some great companies out there that have movement to their spring, bring their fans up and down. They twirl around. We've used a lot of those decoys in the past. Um, there was a decoy, a Jake decoy years ago that we utilized in Nebraska. That I, I think that that turkey has been beaten. He, he has his coloring and his paint on his face is gone, right, from the amount of times <laughs> he's been beat on. You know, so it, it depends on the situation and what's going on. Um, but if I only had one decoy to bring in the woods, it'd be a it'd be a Jake decoy. Be a Jake. What's your mm-hmm. uh, what's your setup going to look like? You know, if you're all, if you are on a on an ag field, like how are you going to mm-hmm. position those decoys, um, or, or does it matter? You know, nine out of 10 times, if you've got a bird that's, that's active and pretty vocal, um, or willing to fight, he's going to come straight to that Jake decoy and that he's going to bypass the hens. He's going to, he's going to come, you know, if you're talking, he knows the hens are out, you know what I'm saying? So he, he knows that there's a hen somewhere and he's coming to that Jake decoy. Um, with that being said, I love just from my own cosmetic appeal and what I see turkeys do. I love having a, a, either a breeder Jake right next to a breeder hen, you know, or, um, there's been some sets where we did a lot of video work where we had four decoys out there. It's not wow. the norm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, we've had a full body out there. Um, we've had, uh, uh, some feeders. We had a breeder hen, we had a Jake decoy out there, but it, it was mirroring what was going on that time of year. They were still in winter flocks, Right. Yep. So, um, now in, in that particular hunt, we brought the whole fricking winter flock into us. You know, mm. so it was, it, it, it's so variable depending on the conditions, what's going on, where you're at and what that looks like at that time. But Man. from an overall, overall standpoint, decoys are only being utilized about 50% of the time. Okay. Good stuff, man. Well, look, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I so appreciate you taking the, the opportunity or Pleasure. taking the time to come on. This was excellent. Pleasure. Where can folks go to find more from you, find out about your outfitting and all that good stuff? Absolutely. Um, you can find us on the web, rrroutfitters.com. Um, we do have some social media. I haven't been keeping up with it as much as I should. But on Facebook, um, you can find us, Ridge River Running Outfitters. Um, you can see some of our videos and some companies that we work with. I think we have some YouTube videos up there and just just about us. Um, but, yeah, contact contact me. You can contact my number. All the information's on there. Um, I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. If you're looking to hunt Wisconsin, either for turkeys or ducks don't hesitate to shoot me a call awesome thanks man i'm gonna i'm gonna link all that in the uh in the show notes and uh hey good luck this spring thank you much good luck to you
That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.